0: The following audio is via a Skype call.
1: Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. It's Saturday, and we're glad you're here. It's a Saturday in March. First Saturday in March. We're inching our way toward big yellow crayon time of the year. Of course, we live in Florida. We broadcast from Seattle, but here in Florida, sunshine is the problem in summertime, whereas it's most welcome in Puget Sound.
2: The other thing I wanted to mention is officially, in March, we are marking 13 years on air. We started in March of 2007. And we're still marching. And we're still marching. In uh, 2020. So there you go. 13 years of Manson Mitchell. Where did the time go? Where did it go <laughs> is right.
1: Some of that time has been well spent in the company of he who prefers to be known simply as the, the dude. dude. That would be Mike Roberge. Michael, how are you today, sir?
3: Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, I can't believe it's been 13 years either. Wow. And you're right. Where does the time go? But uh, hey, 13 years down and 13 years to go, Right.
1: <laughs> Yikes. Don't say that to Suzanne. <laughs> Yikes.
3: <laughs>
1: I enjoy this stuff. Suzanne anticipates a glorious retirement, and she's inching <laughs> her way into yeah. it.
3: I think you guys should go for it, but uh, it'll be a solo trip because I won't be here, all right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I'll be on this planet. I just won't be uh, behind it'll, the board. It'll
2: be a really solo trip without you and without me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we're delighted that our listeners are with us to hear from reverend bonnie barnard today she's been on our show before a few times yes she has not often enough but we're glad to say that she's with us today and you know i have a lot of fun with bonnie we joke around we can be sarcastic and that's all fun we're in a situation where we here in florida have already had a couple of confirmed cases of coronavirus We're also Florida, which means an older population, and it seems that the elders are especially vulnerable to this virus. So we're watching to see what comes east from the west, and of course what came from China to the west coast seems to, not seems to, it has impacted. Washington State, Western Washington in particular, in a devastating way. It's just shocking. Mike, when we watch the TV, I'll tell you something. Yesterday morning, I was watching MSNBC, as I usually do. After we get the Weather Channel, we, we have to see what's going on weather-wise, and then I go to MSNBC. Lo and behold, they had a picture of the frontage at Bothell High School on national TV, MSNBC, Bothell High School. Now, this was our neighborhood for 10 years. Suzanne and I pleasantly cohabitated in Bothell, just down the street. So we would go walking. we get our exercise that way, and we'd walk past Bothell High School, and it was just our digs, our neighborhood. And to see that On national TV, in connection with the coronavirus public health emergency, was a stunning moment for us. Here we are in Sarasota, Florida, and I'm looking at Bothell. And in that context, it was truly frightening. So I ask you, Mike, beyond that, that shock of recognition when you see something like that, over there at home base, how are people coping with this? How are you coping?
3: Well, I think most folks, myself included, are just getting used to the notion of this is the tip of the proverbial iceberg. Um, there are uh, lots of behavioral changes that are being implemented. Uh, as an example, in addition to school closures, the University of Washington and Seattle University have closed classrooms so that now all online instruction and in, um, winter winter quarterfinals will be done uh, over the Web Um, The uh, Comic-Con was canceled, which is kind of of a big deal. Uh, Tourism, as you might imagine, is down. Restaurant uh, patronage is down. And as they ramp up testing, which they're just now starting to do, not just here but everywhere, what we're going to find out is that uh, this uh, COVID-19 has been circulating for months. And perhaps some of it got merged in with our influenza strain this year. Uh, We've had abnormally high reported cases of influenza, I think, in the neighborhood of 30 million, a couple hundred thousand hospitalizations, and 15, maybe 16,000 deaths uh, from supposedly the influenza strain. But I wonder how much of that is um, COVID-19 that just wasn't tested for. So uh, I don't want to paint a picture of gloom and doom, but this is something that people need to really pay attention to and uh, keep themselves as healthy as they can. And, of course, there are lots of ways to do that. Most of the folks here in Seattle are are already aware of it. But I think uh, we're going to find more people... Um, working from home if they can. Another example is my son works at City Hall. City Hall has been closed to all employees except for those absolutely essential people. So he's planning on working from home uh, for now until the end of the month. Uh, My daughter-in-law is a doctor, and where she practices at Swedish Hospital, they're kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do too. And that makes it tough because doctors need to see patients, or more importantly, patients need to see doctors. So there's a lot on the plate. And this is, um, Seattle seems to be the, um, you know, I was going to use the word ground zero, that's probably not the right term, but uh, we're getting it here first, but other areas I can expect to uh, That this is a community spread uh, disease that's highly contagious. I read this morning we're in Austin. They've canceled South by Southwest. Wow. I mean, that's a really big deal. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars of impact in the local economy. And another little note is that uh, with the um, NCAA college basketball, the big dance coming up here in the next uh, 30 days, you know, it's possible that uh, these teams may be playing before empty stadiums. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on.
1: Empty stadiums for the A Division I Men's Basketball Tournament. This is counterintuitive and contrary <laughs> to the purpose.
3: Absolutely. And the NCAA as an, a viable ongoing concern counts on the NCAA Basketball Tournament. That is their meal ticket. And uh, if it's reduced to such a Form where it maybe it's only television, and assuming that there will be television, it totally changed everything. Uh, but again, not to be so much on the, on the pessimistic side, there are. Th- I don't think we have hit, hit the tipping point yet. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm positive, and I'm, I'm not a biologist, yeah. but uh, uh, we got a ways to go. But the main thing is, is people need to take care of themselves and take care of their family and, and friends and do whatever they can to stay healthy. And that's what we need to do. As an example, here in the studio, this morning I came in and wiped everything down. I brought in, again, my daughter-in-law's a doctor, so I got the good stuff. I got the gloves and the masks. I'm not wearing a mask, uh, and I don't think I will. I don't think it's necessary that people who aren't infected uh, wear a mask. But uh, certainly gloves and disinfected wipes and uh, hand sanitizer, it's all around. And as people come and go, in the studio, it's going to be just incumbent upon everybody to, you know, take uh, good care and use good personal hygiene.
1: Well said. Yeah. Words you, to Mike. live by. And yeah. we mean live by. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Sure. Tell I want me, to say, tell, if you,
2: tell me about our guest today.
1: I'm going to do that right now. We've got to get her on the air and on board with us. Rev. Bonnie Barnard received her undergraduate degree in religious studies at the University of Puget Sound, Tacoma, WA, where she realized the common message across religions. She discovered science of mind and became a spiritual practitioner in the mid-1990s after four years of study and certification. For five years... Bonnie had a full-time private practice with an office in Seattle, working one-on-one with clients specializing in revealing health and realizing business success. And she is so much more than that. That's as much as we could say in a few words. So let's invite her to say a few words more. Bonnie Barnard, welcome once again to Manson Mitchell, my dear.
2: Hello, you two. I am so happy to be in your presence today. We are too, and we we don't really intend for the entire hour to be about coronavirus. Certainly there is things to be said about it, but we also have other interesting things to talk about, and I think they're going to kind of blend into one another today. How, how I think is so. The, yes, yes, I think so too. How is the, um, the virus situation where you live, Bonnie?
4: Um, it hasn't really hit here. Um, there's talk, but there isn't panic. My sole community is still in Seattle. So there is much conversation that I have talking people off of ledges right now um, from the Seattle area. And um, their recommendation to me is to start loading up on goods now before the panic down here hits. And I Mm. think what what I've really taken away from the conversations that I've had with my friends and family in Washington state is that that panic energy that sets in is one that drives people to certain behaviors like going to the store to buy out all the toilet paper. And so um, part of the thoughtful planning that can be done as far as the physical level goes is to before any kind of concern hits your specific community is just to make sure you have an ample supply of your basics in the house so that you're not part of that crazy um run on um in stores so that's that's my one big takeaway yeah Yeah, that's been my one big takeaway is that on the physical level is that just make sure you have your supplies so you're not part of that that ramp up.
2: Good idea. Thank you.
1: I want to ask you a metaphysical question, Bonnie, in regard to coronavirus. I got yeah. thinking about this over my breakfast coffee and I said I'm going to go ahead and toss this little conversational grenade toward Bonnie and see what she has to say.
4: Yeah.
1: It is my contention that one of the biggest obstacles to human understanding is ironically the very fact that as a species human beings think of ourselves as being the big species on campus we (laughs) tend to anthropomorphize god we are ethnocentric if it's about us it counts all the other species can get in line And then along comes something like the coronavirus, and there have been contagions before throughout history. We know this. But in terms of coronavirus, I'm curious to know if you see this as something within the context of a divinely inspired evolving reality, and God, we could play with that for days, or is it something more fundamental, My suggestion to you, Bonnie, and please give me your reaction, take all the time you want. My sense of it is that we underappreciate the intelligence of the universe, which does not show particular favoritism to human beings because we are human beings. It's a matter of the outworking of evolution with, with countless competing intelligences, all of which want to have their slice of the cosmic pie or they're striving for supremacy in their realm at the level of their own consciousness. And these intelligences don't much give a damn whether we human beings think we're all that in the bag of chips or not. They wish to survive and thrive in their way, just as we do societally. That's my take on it.
4: Boy, you're a big thinker, Gary. <laughs>
1: big something.
2: I I don't know. He he is a big thinker.
4: Holy, holy cow, Gary. Um, I, well, uh, my belief in God is um, that it is a presence. It isn't a being. So it is a it is a field. It is the field. It is the totality. It is life itself unfolding. It is love, it is joy, it is abundance, it is a um, revealing of itself through all forms of life, including humanity. And so the question I ask is different than the question you ask during something like this, during anything, because God knows that each one of us in our life path have had experiences that have caused internal panic whether it's been a collective or an individual experience and the question for me is am I willing to go deeper into my soul and go to a place that isn't impacted by the panic or am I going to dive in with humanity and play the game of this is scary let's panic together and I've done both right I mean like who hasn't but I'll tell you it is So much more delightful and powerful and enduring to go deeper into the soul and have a conversation and a connection from that place than it is to join the crazy party.
2: You know, uh, Bonnie, when you're talking about that uh, ever pervasive presence of life, And when I was hearing uh, Gary's question, it seems like from one perspective, we really take things personally and we expect our personal God to respond to us. When, as you said, it's not an, uh, an anthropomorphized, you know, man in a white beard, but an overall all presence accounting for all life on earth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's interesting when you're talking about deeper into your soul, because I, I was faced with a problem a couple of nights ago. That I wasn't sure how to solve, and as I was going to sleep and doing my nightly prayers, I, I gave over this problem to what I consider that presence, that divine, and said, "Can can you help me with this? Because mm. I don't think I'm quite up to figuring it out. Beautiful. And I and I need help with this problem." Now, I don't do that on a regular daily basis, but it was like I came to a crisis point where I needed some help. And so I, w- I would say, would you say that that's me going into my deeper soul at that point? Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Because, um,
4: you know, I have shared this on your show before, is that um, I had my first direct experience of what I call God at age five. And since then, it's been my life journey and my life path to know and to realize and to experience the presence of God in this lifetime. That's all I really care about. I mean, I just am like a leftover monk from another century. What I value more than anything else on the planet is to know God, is to know that infinite, eternal presence. And so I spent three years, as I've shared on your show before, in silence and solitude, just going deeper and deeper and deeper and watching the traumas and the dramas and the stuff come in and out of my body and allowing myself to get to a place where I could hear and know the presence as the ultimate reality and be able to step into life from a different place and be able to see life more as an opportunity to play out what we know from each one of us individually in a shared space, if, if that makes sense. And during that period, what I came to realize, um, Suzanne, is that for me, the definition of the soul is where the human and the God come together as one. And so if you look at the symbol of a cross in Christianity, there's a place where the horizontal and the vertical connect. There's a place where that which is eternal and that which is temporal come together in a shared space. And if you look at that um, um, Jewish symbol of the um, cross, there's also the interconnected spaces. And so I see the soul as being that place within us where connection takes place. And so you're beautiful. That's the best. That's just such a great example, the beautiful example of saying, my personality, my constructed self, in and of its own limited beingness, can't handle this. This isn't like this, this needs more than this construct. I am going to go into the well, whatever word you give it God, life. Peace, the eternal, whatever, Jesus Christ, you go into that space within your being and you say, Here, I'm giving it. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to that place that knows what to do with it because I don't.
2: And it's beautiful. You know, this idea of knowing God, for sure, if I've learned anything after all these years, it is not that it's a, a, a machine into which you put your coin of knowing God and what comes out is the perfect life. And, <laughs> it, right. That's not the prize, you know. It's like, okay, no, nothing should ever go amiss. I think that knowing God, part of our lives, can bring us some contentment, can bring us some peace, but it doesn't mean a trouble-free life. And with what is going on uh, around the world, especially with this contagion, it it doesn't mean if we know God we're not going to get sick or we're not going to get the virus. But there there's probably a a, a better space for us to be in mentally while this is going on. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
4: And if I could share a little bit more, um, I. During that three-year period, as I was peeling back the layers and having things revealed, I remember driving to therapy one day because God knows I needed to be supervised to being alone. I mean, like someone needed to know I wasn't going off the deep end, right? So I remember driving to therapy, and I remember having the thought that it had been about three weeks that I had been in a space of this just incredibly dark internal place that felt like a a deep depression of apathy where there was no energy it felt energyless. and as i was driving to therapy i asked myself where am i what where is what is the field i'm in right now and the answer that came back was this is the place where people commit suicide this is the suicidal field and i said well how come i'm not committing suicide?" And I then saw this, as I'm driving, and this is happening in my being, it was, you know, surreal, like everything, is that I saw this um, light expanse on the borders of this darkness. And the voice I heard inside of my being said, it's because you know the prayer field exists. And the prayer field has existed since the beginning of time where people have prayed for the lost souls. And I'm not Catholic, but I do know that there's a prayer that they pray for lost souls. I think probably every religion does. But what it affirms for me is there really is that there exists a prayer field, that all religions have gone to a place of prayer where they have, like you did, say, surrendered, and asked for the bigger to take over. And so what I know, and, and the conversation that I'm glad we're having about coronavirus is now a spiritual one, it's not a physical one, and that is that Dr. Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, he and his brother, um, oh, what was his name, Fenwick, who was a congregational minister, the two of them were alive during the big flu outbreak in 1917, I think it was, um, down in L.A. Was it? Down in the L.A. Spanish and, flu, 1918, yes. Yeah, and um, there was something like, and, and this number is probably wrong, Gary, but you might know what it is. There was something like 350,000 people in L.A. who died. And I, I don't I have the really statistics, it was massive. All. It was massive. It was huge. What Ernest and Fenwick did, and I love this word, they set up a sanatorium. I, I don't even know what that word means. It sounds like a, sanitarian, a sanitary napkin mixed with, you know, somewhere someone goes who's mentally ill. I mean, like, it's just a weird name to me, a sanatorium. But they set up a sanatorium. And this is a place where people who had the flu came. And um, Ernest and Fenwick prayed with them. And they served Thousands of people, and not one of those died. Every last one of them stayed alive. And again, like you said, Suzanne, it's not a guarantee. But what I'm trying to underscore is there's a power in that divinity. There's a power in that aliveness. There's a power in that force that doesn't exist when we hang out in the field of worry, doubt, fear, fear. And, um, and, and fear in particular, but worry, doubt, fear, concern, paranoia, a different energy exists that we can have access to that can free us from that energy field as well as has the power to heal us. And every single entire sacred text on this planet talks about miracles, talks about healing, and I think That the body temple is a really powerful way to get our attention. Because when you don't feel well, you don't feel well. And so to be able to have that transformative experience of going from not feeling well to being well, if you're awake in consciousness, and even if you're not, can be so powerful that you can realize there's something else going on that's mysterious. And so if we allow illness, disease, sickness to actually instruct us, we can connect to that place of us that never does die, that is always alive, that is eternal. And we can have what all religions would talk about being a rebirth, where we realize that we aren't the bodies that we're hauling around, but that we're something incredibly spectacular.
1: Very well said, Bonnie. I love what you're talking about. And I also am mindful, and this is a a nod to the human body, these marvelously complex machines that we run around in, as Suzanne has, they're, they're a beautiful work of art. If you're female, if you're a guy, it's like a Jeep. Good for getting around. <laughs> right. So, With that being the case, these incredibly complex machines that we have are vehicles for the soul. They allow yeah. us to do what we choose to do, if you take the science of mind perspective. What we have contracted or elected to do In these particular bodies during a specific period of time where we can work on the state of our souls.
4: Yeah,
1: that's the best recapitulation I can give you for the science of mind. And I certainly I subscribe to it and I know that I need to be practicing it a lot more than I do. But with this public health emergency, I'm mindful of it because I'm trying to drive my own bus in this like rather than being at the effect of a virus that, left to its own, will have its way with humanity until it finally dies out under whatever circumstances prevail at the time. This is the right. kind of emergency that gets you thinking. And it's fortunate right. that we have you with us to pick through the, the issues instead of just uh, the ashes, because we're dealing, as Mike that said, we're dealing with uh, the tip of the iceberg here. We're using a lot of cliches, but the bottom line is that we haven't seen most of this go yet. We're still figuring out what it is, how it does what it does, and what the exact extent of the threat is as best we can determine. So yesterday and again today, Manson Mitchell are taking up the coronavirus, and we're speaking to people at the epicenter in North America of this public emergency this contagion bonnie barnard is our guest we love to talk to her and we're going to do some more of that and maybe we're going to move from all things viral, to all things metaphysical in a practical way, because we set up this interview with one specific idea in mind, and I am going to get into that with Bonnie on the other side of a short break. Give us a couple of minutes. We're Manson Mitchell, and you are tuned in to Seattle's Home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype
3: call.
1: On Friday, Manson Mitchell play DJs for a day, feeling lucky. On Friday the 13th, lucky you, music to enjoy for an hour.
2: On Saturday, Christopher Hill talks about the roots of rock and roll music and its endurance over many decades from his book *Into the Mystic*,
1: bringing you mastery and mystery
2: since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150.
1: Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150.
2: The following audio is
0: via a Skype call.
2: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this honor, Bonnie Barnard. Bonnie, if people would like to connect with you, you have books, you have things going on, perhaps a website, social media, please tell our listeners how they can connect with you and learn more about you and your work.
4: Oh, thank you. Um, I have a website, bonniebarnard.com. That's B-O-N-N-I-E-B-A-R-N-A-R-D.com. And on there, um, you can access, you know, the purchase of the books. I have a blog that I so enjoy writing. And um, I have a professional Facebook page, which is Bonnie Ann, and that's A-N-N-E, Bonnie Ann Barnard. And on that, um, for the month of March, I have been doing three daily meditations that are 20 minutes or less and they're available Monday through Friday is, is when I'm doing them. And it's just been so much fun. And I've had such good response, um, cause it just allows us to enter into that space and relax our bodies together. So, um, that's, that's why I'm available at this point and would love to connect with whomever, um, is part of your audience that resonates with what we're talking about.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. I wanted to read a very brief quote from Woody Allen, who is a philosopher in his own right. He's had a lot of interesting things to say. One quote has stuck with me over the years. Woody Allen says, 80% of success is showing up. I I don't know exactly how he settled on 80%, but I agree with the spirit of the thing. 80% of success is showing up. Bonnie, you are somebody who has coached an array of people. God knows how big your clientele is. But it seems to me that you are one of the go-to people for deciding and learning how to decide and how to implement the decision to engage with life on a daily basis, even, and maybe especially, when you don't feel like it?
4: Uh, well, that's been my journey for the last several years, Gary, is that, um, you know, Suzanne said it really great earlier in the interview where, um, where she had made some comments about um, maybe not feeling like you're being connected in some way or feeling inspired, and um, the last couple years, oh, she had, I I remember the exact thing now, is that she had said that you think that because you become spiritual, your life is easy, is that the last couple years have been really, really rough on me, um, and have been hard, and so when I wake up every morning, I am having to force myself to do spiritual practices, force myself to pray and meditate. And that's not um, who I am naturally. And so I am back to understanding what it is like to have a practice, you know, like the athlete who just does not want to work out and they show up with their attitude and they do it anyway and maybe do it half ass. That's how I've been for the last, several years. It's just been hard. And so um, where I have been, and that's starting to lift now. It's starting to open. I'm starting to see the sun again. Um, there's starting to be more internal joy. But it was one of the longest periods that I have had that have been really dense. And, um, and so I've been sitting in the experience in the question around faith, because faith really is, (laughs) and this goes with the coronavirus, this goes with all of life, faith really is the getting up and going, that 80% of showing up that you referenced, Gary, Um, and just putting one foot in front of the other regardless. You know, it's trusting in a bigger, it's trusting in a better, it's trusting in a knowing it is for me remembering all of those moments in my life where I've had a direct experience of God. And even though I can't feel them and know them at that moment know that they exist and are there. And, um, the experience of feeling lost, disconnected, um, uh, disappointed, disillusioned, all of that stuff can appear to be so real that the spiritual practice of digging deep is, um, uh, I just applaud me for doing it and I applaud everyone who does it. It is, um, it really is a practice.
2: You know, Bonnie, uh, when you were talking about this being a a two-year odyssey for you, that was really resonating with me, and I had no idea that you and I were leading such parallel lives because it was two years ago in April that I fell and fractured my back and was taken Mm. away in an ambulance to the hospital. And uh, I was saying to Gary this morning, that I, I wasn't really sure about the role of faith in all of this. Yeah. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because I said to Gary, I don't think it's faith that has gotten me to where I am two years later. I think it it feels more like willpower. And, and uh. like you, I am just beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel now, and I'm working. Yeah with a personal trainer who is giving me some good back exercises. And so there are days when I do not feel like doing my stretching and I, and I have to really force myself to do the stretches and do the things that I said that I would do in order to get better. But I, I like the part that faith plays that I heard you say is something about trusting and i think it's that trusting that we are healing trusting that we are getting better whether it's uh getting better mentally or getting better physically
4: yes and before i sat down in my chair today to talk with you guys i went in my office and took down the map of consciousness um by hawkins and he has you know the different levels the different energetic levels um of consciousness, and he aligns them to God's view, life's view, to emotions, etc. And so he has um, trust as being that first level that actually is a beneficial presence on the planet instead of being a presence that takes away energetically from humanity. So he has, um, in, in his levels of consciousness, He lists emotional states that actually uh, take away life energy and then those that propel life energy. So the last couple years, um, part of my rebuilding process, Suzanne, has been looking at that which is tonic and that which is toxic to my being, and that includes the physical. So in January of 2019, I was in the hospital with the flu. I had the flu, super bad. I mean, I was in really bad shape with the flu. And it took months to recover. And part of the awakening in that process for me was I started asking myself different questions. And the different question I asked myself was, how can I build a an immune system how can i build an immune system that will support me as i age so like like i may or may not ever have the flu again i may or may not have coronavirus but how can i have a body that that heals it and loves to heal rapidly because my experience of the flu was so severe and so I went on this journey that included my body, mind, spirit as one. And so what, what I want to say is I started looking at what is tonic and what is toxic, what brings life and what diminishes life. And this is where, Gary, the science of mind is so huge because it's looking at thoughts, cascade, thoughts and emotions are buddies. And they cascade into our body and turn our bodies into chemicals, as Bruce Lipton will teach you in his work. And those chemicals become the environment in which we live and in which we bring in or experience um, health crises, and then we either have the power to combat them or not. And so I decided two years ago, like I'm going to have a different relationship with my body and I'm going to build a different body because I'm going to turn myself into a tonic being, not a toxic one. And so when we're talking about faith and trust, that in Hawkins is the very first flip in going from being toxic to being tonic. And so the toxic, Below that is like anxiety, despair, blame, humiliation, regret, hatefulness, scorn, And so when we start having faith, it's like we turn on a light switch that says, I am going to have the belief, I'm going to have the faith, I'm going to have the realization that my life can be different than this and that I have the power within me to move from being that which doesn't serve me and humanity to that which does. And so I'm just looking at this map of consciousness with so much joy, Suzanne, because after a two-year journey, like what we've been through, that's an accomplishment, <laughs> I mean, you know, right? It's right. really an accomplishment to get to trust. <laughs> that's huge. It's huge. Um, but I really wanted to share on our call today, if I may, um, that that the one thing I did that I'm the most proud of in this journey is that I fired all of my friends and relationships that were toxic. And what I mean by that is is when I was down for the count, I started reading all of these books on um, narcissism and, psychopaths and sociopaths and all of this dark energy that that lives within some of our brothers and sisters' um, unhealed energy that exists, and um, I just came to a place where I decided it wasn't welcome in my inner circle anymore, that I had allowed that to be in my inner circle, and that pollution and contamination was really bringing me down, and so I still love these, these individuals. I still pray with and for them, but they're just not in my inner circle anymore. And the freedom that has come from knowing that my, my home, my um, social space is safe and filled with that tonic energy has really been one of the most powerful things I've done for myself. Um, And and I just really wanted to share that because it's that profound.
1: That is relevant to myself, I think to Suzanne, and I know it's relevant to many, many people, particularly those who take the metaphysical view of life, Bonnie. Here is the perplexing question. It is a puzzlement. And I do sit around and think about this now and again. What do you do? I guess maybe at the point of awareness, you're a choice. You have to make a decision. That would be the short answer. But have you experienced trying to weed out the toxic people, which is a very smart and healthy thing to do, and discovered along the way that in this or that instance, someone that you turn to for the tonic benefits of life with whom you think you have spiritual fellowship, turns out to be a very clever narcissist who uses that veneer in order to reel you in, and here you're wanting to get rid of the toxicity and some of the worst people in your life are the ones who hide it so well.
4: Oh my gosh, you would love one of my friends. I I have a friend in Seattle who specializes in this, and God bless her because she has brought me so much joy but she will send me amazing videos on there's different levels of narcissism and one is like the hidden narcissist and that fits the description that that you speak of um Gary and so what i what i have done is i think i have probably read 15 really meaty books on narcissism now and and i would be happy to Share with you the list of those if you if you are at all interested. But I took away some really substantial points, and one of them is that in narcissistic relationships, um, there tends to initially be what seems like an urgency, like the narcissist urgently needs your attention, your time, your energy. That there is. there's almost like the feeling of having someone push themselves into your life instead of having it be an easy connection. So for me, that was one really big um, warning sign. Um, Another is, and this is um, absolutely a dead giveaway, is that a narcissist does not have capacity to be able to have a reciprocal relationship by definition. Um, It's an energy field that takes. It's a dense energy field, and it's a taking energy field. And so it cannot, by its nature, give. It's not a giving field. So if you just sit and get quiet and ask yourself, which relationships do you have a give and take or reciprocity and which ones you don't, it becomes really clear where you're being drained and where you aren't. So those were two big giveaways. I have a whole list of stuff I'd look for now. Um, but um, I was so proud of myself to actually make phone calls, um, meet with people in person, and just say, it's over. You know, And my, my own spiritual, I have a spiritual advisor. I have a therapist. I have doctors. I believe in a support team, a holistic team, because we're body, mind, and spirit. And my spiritual advisor says to me, Bonnie, every single narcissist on this planet knows how to get its feed of energy. So once you let them go, they're off to their next feeding spot. So you don't like because my concern was, you know, but if if I'm not friends with them, they won't have friends. But if I'm not this, then that, right? And so what she had said to me is, they're absolutely brilliant at finding their next feeding hole. And so you don't ever have to worry when you let them go that they don't go on to their next space. So for me, it just was very powerful to honor and love and trust my own self enough to um, be willing to escort that energy out of my life.
1: And thank God for that because you're in a bad way if you feel guilty for looking after your own sanity and the health of your soul by getting a toxic person out of your life. And it is part of the wicked genius of narcissism, at least as I've been on the receiving end of it from time to time, that people can get you to feel guilty rather like a vampire who succeeds in making the victim feel guilty because they're not offering their neck.
4: (laughs) Oh, Gary, you know it well. I'm slow on the uptake. I, so I remember, like, seven years ago, Dr. Pat and I having a phone conversation, and she was so beautiful, and she just said to me, Bonnie, get narcissism out of your life. Get that energy out of your life, and everything will change and be transformed, and I couldn't hear it because I couldn't see it, you know, and if only I had been awake enough to get it, um, and I wasn't. And so um, I, that's been part of the journey in the last several years of looking at tonic versus toxic and um, saying, okay, in order for me to be of of service, to be the connected light that I am in order to bring forth my glory, then there's some self-care things that need to happen. And, um, and that was one of the biggest shifts that I've made. And then, the continuance of the faith, the continuance of the prayer, the continuance of the practice. Oh my goodness! I have also learned that um, one of I just finished reading a book by Dr. Lisa Rankin that I totally recommend to everybody listening called "Mind Over Medicine," and in there she, um, you know, she says that um, loneliness kills people early. Um, you know, the people will die seven and a half years earlier earlier than other people if they're lonely. But you'll die even sooner if you're in bad relationships. So don't, you know, don't confuse those. But she said that longevity health exists when you have and are in relationships with tonic people and where you can laugh and have joy and have barbecues and you know, uh, go to movies and take walks and do all that healthy stuff. And so, one of the health advices um, that we have, as we're talking about the full Corona outbreak, is that where we build our um, immune system so strongly is to stay connected with people that we love. So there's just oh, I like, like that. Yeah. There's there's layers and levels of well being. I guess is what I'm what I'm coming to learn. And um, there's ways to tend to the body, the mind, and the spirit. And the closer that we are to our own soul, we realize they're all the same. You know, we realize that our body is the same. And how we treat our body is how we treat our mind is how we treat our spirit. You know, that, like, we categorize them, but it's really the same thing. And it is that we were put on this planet to learn and grow and explore and have joy and play and create and all this stuff. And when we get off track and start being miserable, that is a sign to us that something's off, right?
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: That is very, very well stated. You know, we've gone almost all the way through this hour. I have not heard a word about your wonderful book of affirmations and how to construct them. That is such a useful practice. Talk about that for a couple minutes.
4: Well, I don't have a book on affirmations. You're probably talking about the prayer book I wrote, and I wrote that years ago. It's called um, uh, Becoming Your Own Answered Prayer, and it's a book on affirmative prayer. That's what I meant. uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's called Becoming Your Own Answered Prayer, um, and it's really taking um, what we learned in religious science, the five um, steps of affirmative prayer, and laying it out in a book with... um, practices on on how to be able to pray from the place of faith instead of from the mind you know so it's deeper it's a a deeper form of prayer which is really quite beautiful so um yeah i haven't written any books as of late gary and and i'm starting to itch starting to get that itch
1: that's the divine discontent you know that
4: yeah so that that might be coming But, you know, I know that we are coming close to an end. And so I just I want to tell you, too, how much I adore you. Like, I really look forward to today. And I feel like we were sitting at a kitchen table having coffee.
2: To us, that's the ideal interview. (laughs) You know, not that it's, um, you know, stilted or scripted because we don't script our interviews. We get an idea of what we want to talk about. But we do like to pretend we're all sitting in the living room or around the kitchen table together and just having a chat. And it was very good chatting with you today and covering all the things that we covered, uh, Bonnie. I like your perspective as a religious science minister and, um, you know, putting everybody in a, in a good space mentally, especially when right now there are a lot of mental challenges. A lot of yes. fear thoughts. A lot of fear yes. thoughts. And so yes. I, I was taking notes today during our our conversation. And I appreciate hearing your thoughts about how people can get right with themselves and get right with God and not go to that mm-hmm. fear place. So thank you so much for spending the time with us.
1: And here's uh, an idea. Let's have you on with us again sooner.
4: Oh, I would, I would love that. And Suzanne, if you go to my website, bonniebarner.com and go to the blog, this, I wrote a blog just like two days ago where I included in it Lissa Rankin, the um, doctor I just referred to. She has an intake form where she asks these amazing questions for you to answer about your life so that okay. you can become congruent in order to have good health.
2: That's and a so, great bit yeah, of advice. You. Thank yeah, you, you, Bonnie, for being with that. us today. All right. And stay tuned for Jupiter
1: rising coming up now. Fantastic. Good health, everyone, and have a great weekend. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.